This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Courageous Church is a great church, and I'm going to uh, talk to you today about another great church in the book of Acts. I love the Wind and Fire series that you're going through, through the book of Acts. And you know, some theologians believe that, hey, when you read the book of Acts, it's just stories of what happened back then. There's not really, you can't really apply those truths to today's church. I do not buy into that. The book of Acts is a story of how Jesus breathed his Holy Spirit upon the church and how the church spread around the world, uh, turning the world upside down and uh, by the power and the truth of the gospel. And so guess what? We are continuing to live out the book of Acts. You know, and uh, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, and we, in a very real sense, you, you right now are living out Acts chapter 29 uh, by, by the way you're living, by the way you're doing church. And so I would like to uh, show you, uh, kind of put under a microscope, a church that was born in a very unusual way in the book of Acts, and that's the church at Antioch. So if you have your Bibles, open them to uh, uh, Acts chapter 11. And we're going we're gonna, to uh, make that our primary uh, part as we look into this amazing church at Antioch. Everyone say the church at Antioch. Really good. So uh, I'm going to talk about three pillars of a vibrant church. And uh, here's why this is important. These pillars are not only just for local churches. These pillars are for your life. So when I talk about three pillars of a local church, I'm talking about also three pillars that must be strong in your life because you are the church. Did you know that? The church is not a building. The church is not an organization. The church is an, a, a spiritual organism. And you are part of it. And so these pillars have to be in your life. And I want you to know, uh, Jesus is totally into this church. Jesus is into the local church. You might say, well, how do you know? Because it's very culturally cool to be against organized religion. Have you noticed that? Some people say, well, I believe in God and Jesus is just all right with me, but I don't care uh, to enter a church or be part of a church at all. I want you to know that when we see the risen Christ in Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, he's walking among lampstands. And the lampstands are local churches, literal local churches in uh, Asia Minor, now uh, present-day Turkey. And uh, he was walking them. That's what the risen Christ was into. He was into walking amongst churches and checking them out for their health. And if you know what I'm talking about in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 in particular, he spoke to those various churches. And he says, here's what you have going on that's great. Here's what needs to be tweaked and improved. And I give you a challenge to overcome. And uh, I will give you special blessings as an overcomer in that church. Jesus hangs out amongst local churches, even in his resurrected glorified state. And you know what? I think it was walking among us and still is uh, even this morning. I don't know about you, but we had some wonderful prayer times with people down here uh, at the front during uh, worship. 
And I know he was here moving. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18. He says, I will build my church. Who builds the church? Jesus. And he says, it's my church, by the way. It's not Pastor Sonny's church. It's not owned by any group. It is my church. And that, by the way, I am putting a stamp of excellence and overcoming power upon the church that I want you to know that it can't fail because what does he say? The gates of hell will not prevail against what I'm going to build. Now that's amazing because Jesus uses the word ekklesia in the Greek language, which every Greek person knew. He was using a civic term. He was using a term that in its day, in the the Roman and Greek culture, was a civic group called together and called out of the community to conduct community business for the good and the health of that community that they were serving. And he uses the word ekklesia. Ek means to uh, out of, and kalo means to call, to call out. And Jesus says, I am going to build, not a civic group, but I'm going to build a group of called out people who are called out of the world and called unto me to do business, not for the, not for the city in the natural, but for a kingdom that I'm building called the kingdom of God. Do you know what? You are part of the ecclesia. I will build, I just kicked over the water. Uh, I will build my church. That's fine. I'm probably not going to drink it uh, while I'm preaching. I might even kick it over again. So (laughs) Jesus, hey, you know, Pastor Jason, if I really kick this, I could probably hit the clock from here. (laughs) If I really like a football. (laughs) Um, Yeah, field goal. So here you go. You are part of the ecclesia, the called out ones. Called out, not just just hang out in church, not just to a, a, a creed, not even to a lifestyle. You're called out to the king and his purpose on earth. You know you only get your short lifestyle, your, your short lifetime to serve the purpose of God. How long are you going to live? I told Becky this year, I turned 60, by the way. I know I don't look it, but I turned 60 this year. And uh, I told Becky, you know, if I live, I did the math. I know this is a bit morbid, but I got my calculator out. I said, hey, if I live to 75, I've got only like 5,500 days to live. Uh, I know it's morbid, but I was trying to get her to treat me better. See, if, if she knows I'm going to kick the bucket in 15 years, she's going to treat me better. Uh, guys, just a little free tip at church today, okay? Um, but here's what I want you to know. You got a short window to live, and we don't know. Are we going to live to 75? We do not know. But one of the things that was said of David, he served the purpose of God in his generation. And then he died and he was buried with his fathers. And I think that's a wonderful thing to be able to say about your life. I served the purpose of God. I served the purpose of God with my one and only life. Beyond your business endeavors, beyond getting rich, beyond getting your degrees, beyond even raising your family, All of that comes under serving the eternal purpose of God in your sliver of life. Because your your 75, 85 years is just a sliver of time, isn't it? But there is an overarching plan 
stretched throughout human history called the eternal purpose of God that is being fulfilled. And God's invitation is, will you participate and serve it by doing God's will with your life? So Jesus calls this the ecclesia, the kingdom of God. And do you remember that when he drove out the money changers from the temple, the, the disciples were amazed because this meek and mild Jesus made a whip and turned over tables and yelled at the top of his voice, get out of my father's house, you're turning it into a den of thieves. And it's like the side of Jesus that we've never seen before. But he did it twice in his ministry. Once as he was beginning his earthly ministry, he walked into the temple. And once as he ended his ministry in John's gospel uh, there. And uh, so it, it says that after he did this, John 2, 17, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal is a, a burning passion for your house. And that's you. So let's look at these uh, from, from this wonderful church at Antioch. Three pillars for a vibrant local church. Number one, let's look at uh, verse 19, Acts eleven nineteen. 19. You got it in front of you? Say amen. amen. And I guess it's, well, look at that. It's projected beautifully. So you can look it right on the screen. Now, those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Why were they only spreading it among Jews? Because it was the understanding at the time. The, the early disciples thought Jesus is a Jew, and this is a new covenant for the Jews to embrace. That was what they understood at the time. But what, what was about to break open at Antioch in the next couple of verses is no this covenant is not just a new covenant for the Jews. It is a new covenant for the Gentiles, yea, the whole world. Yeah. Yeah. Any Gentiles in the house glad that the gospel is not just for Jews? This Gentile, yeah, says amen for that. So, but, but they knew that, okay, let's go and spread the gospel of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, only Jews. But there was a breakout group. A breakout group that was willing to do something courageous and dangerous. It's kind of like planting a church in Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> yeah, it's like they went to Salt Lake City, Utah, and they began to speak to the Gentiles. And they talked to the people who really also needed the kingdom of God, who would be easy to overlook. Now, what does the Bible say? Verse 20, then some of them, by the way, they're never even named. However, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to, speak to Greeks also. This was breaking all the early church rules, talking to Gentiles about Jesus is the Messiah. This Jewish teacher is truly the son of God. And they were telling him, the, what was their message? The good news about the Lord Jesus. Look at what he says. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. There was instant fruitfulness. They were ready. They were hungry. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So like the home-based church where the apostles were still hanging out, we're, we're saying, 
oh my word, this is like amazing. Antioch and all these Gentiles are believing the word. Barn, Barney, Barnabas, son of encouragement, go on. We're sending you on a mission trip. Check out what's going on there and report back to us. Strengthen what God is doing. And I love what it says about this in verse 23. When he arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. Everyone say grace. grace. Do you know when you received Christ, when the Lord knocked on the door of your heart, it was a grace encounter. And you said yes to him and your sins were forgiven. Do you remember that sense of spiritual freedom and lightness when you realized that God was your father he was not holding your past against you and that heaven was your home and you had a calling and love destiny on earth. The born again experience. And you encountered grace. And I love the way it's phrased. Barnabas showed up and he looked into the face of all these Gentiles and he said, look what the grace of God has done. Becky and I have ministered in 21 countries around the world by the grace of God. And we go into many different places and many different cultures. And even though we don't speak the same language, when we look into the eyes of God's people, we see, look at what the grace of God has done in you. Does that mean you're perfect? No. We're all in process. But you know what? What the grace of God has started in you, the grace of God will continue to do in you. It's called spiritual maturity, the process of sanctification, the process of discipleship. And as I look into your faces, this is my first time here. And, and you know what? I see what the grace of God is doing in your lives. And I'm so thankful for it. And that's what Barnabas saw. And he was glad and he encouraged all of them to what? Remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. This is the goal of discipleship. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. What is the first pillar? The first pillar is grace. I'm going to give you three G words. Grace, government, and glory. And uh, this, these are the three pillars of any local church that's vibrant and healthy, and they're the three pillars that you need to actually have in your life. Grace, coming to Christ, receiving his grace for salvation, the unmerited favor of God. It says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved. Do you know this passage? This is one of the key passages for salvation in the Bible, right, right up there next to John three sixteen. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Do you remember your spiritual birthday when you said yes to Christ? And you started singing Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Were you a wretch? I was. I was only five years old when I prayed to receive Christ. And you might say, well, how much of a wretch can a five-year-old be? I managed it. <laughs> the fact is, we're born into sin. So Jesus comes into our life not to help you with your sins alone, the sins you commit, but he comes to help you with your sin the sin nature that we were all born with. 
that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And that's a song of grace, and it is amazing. Uh, is not only the beginning of your spiritual life, hear me, it's the beginning, grace is the middle, and grace is the consummation. When we've been there 10,000 years in heaven, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we have first begun. Even in heaven, we're gonna be singing, oh, God's grace saved me. I remember when I was a sinner in Salt Lake City, Utah, and he saved me out of this, out of that, out of the other. And now I've been in heaven for 10,000 years, shining like the sun, and I'm still singing about amazing grace. That's where we're going. Grace. It's a pillar of every local church. You know what? Churches are gatherings of people who have experienced a miracle. The miracle of the new birth. And you get together, even though you're way different than one another. I mean, look around the room right now. You're totally different than the people sitting around you, but you've got one magnificent, huge thing in common. You're saved by grace. And this is the miracle of every local church. It's the glue that holds this church together. Because you're saved, and he brings you together like a box of rocks to bounce against one another. And the more you bounce against one another, the smoother you get. How many of you have bounced off some other Christians and uh, it there might have been some sparks that fly, but you know what? You got better for it. And that's the amazing thing. And so it says in John uh, 1.14, the law came through Moses. Grace and truth came from, through Jesus. Grace and truth. We're not approaching God under the law. We're coming in his grace. And so... I just want you to be stewards of this grace and vibrantly live out the gospel in Salt Lake City and the surrounding areas. Because a church of grace is going to, guess what? You're going to open your arms because you've received grace. You're going to open your arms to broken people who walk into this church or who walk into your individual life. And you're going to say, the grace of God saved me. Look at what it's done. And now the grace of God can actually save you too. It's a pillar for a church. And if, if, if you're just coming to church to play church and you have not experienced grace, today's the day to receive grace. And to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I repent of my sin. I turn my life over to you. Save me by your grace. It's the first pillar. The second pillar is found in Acts 11 as the story goes on, verse 25 and 26. Say this, then Barnabas, I'm sorry, you don't have to repeat. It says this, then, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for who? Who is this guy? You're all very well taught. You know this. Who is this guy? Not a trick question. It's the great apostle Paul who's about to be introduced publicly to the church. This guy was saved in Acts chapter 9 went out to Arabia for 14 years and was called out to be an apostle by this wonderful guy, Barnabas. Barnabas is like, Paul, I need help with the church. 
and uh, Saul, Paul, interchangeable words, uh, same, same guy. And uh, come help me with the church because uh, I know you've got some gold. You know, isn't it great when God brings people to your church that help the pastor and support the pastor? And uh, one of the things we do when we travel around the church is not only help the pastor, but we uh, get together with his leadership team. And which I'm looking forward to doing tonight at your house. And so, why? Because ministry is not ever supposed to be done alone. Jesus sent them out two by two for crying out loud. And so, Paul uh, is invited. Barnabas says, come on, I need your help. Come over to this amazing thing that's being done in Antioch. And uh, he goes to get him, and for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch, which, be, which really was originally a term of derision, you little Christians. But it actually became a stamp and an identifier that we follow Christ. All right. The sec- you ready for the second pillar? Government. Grace and government. You might think, oh great, it's a political year next year. I'm tired of government. As a matter of fact, sometimes when you say government, it makes people, it's like a trigger for crying out loud. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was the president when I st- first started voting and, and yeah, there were political divisions, but nothing like today. Holy cow. But I'm not talking about the government of man. I'm not asking you to follow a donkey I'm not asking you to follow an elephant. I'm asking you to follow the lamb, the lamb of God, the savior of the world. Let me tell you something. The government of God is super serious because you think, well, good, I'm, I'm saved by grace. Now I'm a free, free agent to go do whatever I want. You know what, what we begin to understand when we walk with Christ? That it's a process of him bringing us into his government which is defined as the kingdom of God. Jesus taught more about the kingdom of God in all of his parables than any other thing. Remember that phrase, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like. Okay, uh, Jesus talked about this new kingdom. Well, what is it? Was it is it a place? Is it, is it Salt Lake City, Utah? Is it Kalamazoo, Michigan? Uh, is it Washington, D.C.? The kingdom is not a geographical location. It is a spiritual state of being. I'm going to say that again, because I don't think some of you got it. The kingdom of God is not a geographical location. It is a spiritual state of being. So, the kingdom of God is the dynamic, right now, rule and reign of God in your life. It's where he calls the shots. That's why Jesus could say the kingdom of God is being manifest among you. Because people are coming under my lordship. Under my lordship. And you know what? Every local church should express divine governance. Do you know what? If you cut me, I bleed government. Why? Because I am convinced, Pastor Jason, that good ministry rests on good government. Because government as expressed in the New Testament, is actually a sustaining, protecting structure to help the grace of God and to help protect every local church. 
So let me just very quickly uh, do a quick flyover about what I'm talking about. Isaiah uh, chapter 9, this is a, a passage we usually read at Christmas time because it talks about this Christ being born to us. But look at what it says. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son of, is given, and what? What's it say? The government will be upon his shoulders. What are we talking about? Is it the Roman government? No, the Roman government was never on Christ's shoulders. Is it the American government? Certainly not. No, it's a kingdom that is not of this world called the kingdom of God. So the local church is a gathering of people under the spiritual government of God, gathered in a loving spiritual family where they are led by a pastor and governed by elders who reflect his heart, vision, and order for the body. Did you get that? Every flock of sheep needs a shepherd. And what I'm looking at now is a flock of sheep. And Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And I'm going to raise up shepherds uh, to act like me, who are willing to feed, lead, and protect the flock. And actually be willing to lay down their life for the flock. Do you know how often this couple has to lay down their life in many respects for the flock? Jesus said, hey, if you're not willing to lay down your life for the care of this flock, you're just a hireling. And when a wolf comes, a hireling actually runs off because they don't care deeply for the flock. I know this couple, and for four years, they have not run off. So I thank God for planting the Chathams here to help shepherd this flock. Why? Because they have the heart of the great shepherd uh, in them. There is a, uh, a role, a distinct role, for a pastor in the midst of the church surrounded by eldership. And you might call them different things. I call them eldership elders because that's what the Bible calls them. And uh, this is what the Bible has to say about elders in the Bible. They're, they, they serve God's people in humility and strength and vision and virtue and love and in leadership. They are not church bosses. They are not bullies. It is not a church, local church hierarchy. But elders are spiritual leaders raised up to help surround the pastor to help the flock be healthy. And this is what Paul says in Acts 20, 28 through 30. Listen, he's talking to the elders at a church called Ephesus. Here it says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Greek word is episkopos, to oversee the church. And then he says, be shepherds. The word shepherds is poimen in the Greek, literally means pastor or shepherd. Be shepherds over the flock. This is a church at Ephesus there that Paul cared for deeply because he was the pastor of it for three years. He was the pastor of the church at Ephesus longer than he was a pastor of any other church that he planted. So as he was leaving, he says, guys, you'll never see me again. I'm going to Jerusalem, and I know I'm going to be arrested there, and it's not going to be pretty, but here's my parting commitment to you. Watch yourselves and the flock that the Holy Spirit's made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And watch this, verse 29. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you 
and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So godly government provides an environment of health where God's people flourish and grow and mature. The way we say it in the radiant world is local churches are senior pastor-led, eldership-governed, staff-facilitated, and congregation-equipped. That was so good, I should say it again, right? Okay, the way we like to say it is local churches. I'm talking about government. God's delegated government. Senior pastor led. Why? Because the senior pastor is, has been given in Ephesians 4.11 ascension gift uh, by the head of the church, Christ. It's unique. It's actually unique than any of the eldership roles, which is the governance role. Senior pastor led, eldership governed. Elders are always plural in the, in the Bible. Always named in plural. Senior pastor led, eldership governed, staff facilitated, congregation equipped. And this is why it says in Ephesians 4.11, when it lays out the unique roles of what are called the fivefold ministry. Have you ever heard of this term, the fivefold ministry? Gifts? Hold up your hand like this. Everyone have five fingers? Some woodworkers only have four. I see those. Okay. <laughs> I, see, I see you woodworkers out there. Um, okay, here's the deal. The Lord has given apostles. Wave your thumb. You know what's unique about your hand? It's got an opposable thumb. That's what gives you a real grip on things. Apostles are like the thumb. They can touch, look at, they touch all the other four with great power. Can you do that? See, you can hold a suitcase like this. You can hold a suitcase like this because the apostle has been given great strength. The second apostle, prophet, the prophet's the pointer finger. The prophet sees stuff and says, that's right, that's wrong. God has given prophets to not be condemning to the body of Christ, <laughs> but to encourage, strengthen, and comfort the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. Don't be afraid of prophets. As a matter of fact, I had some prophetic words for some people just here as I was praying over you. And that's the heart of Jesus. A prophet doesn't point out how bad you are. <laughs> A prophet speaks God's, what God thinks about you. And a lot of times it's so audacious we dare not even think it of ourselves. Apostle, prophet, evangelist is the tall finger. Don't use your evangelist when driving. <laughs> so here's the thing. The evangelist goes out front. The evangelist proclaims the gospel. That's why it's the tallest one. To evangelize is to share the gospel. And there are specific people. Now, we're all called to share the gospel, right? But there are specific people who are evangelists. Billy Graham is one, right? We've known Billy Graham in our lifetime, and he has led uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people uh, to Christ. What's the next one? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor. Pastor is the ring finger. I'll use this hand because it's got my ring uh, on it. Uh, oftentimes married to a local church. Super committed. The, the same Greek word poimen is translated shepherd and pastor. Same Greek word. And so these shepherds are care for local 
church communities. They love doing this. And they love driving off wolves. And they love feeding and and nurturing people for God's purpose. And then the last one is teacher. And the teacher is like the pinky. And the teacher is often like this, the, you, the one you think about last, maybe the smallest, maybe the least. But the teacher is so important because the teacher gets truth into your life like no other gift can. When you sit under the ministry of a teacher, they actually take the word of God and they place it in you. Much like your pinky, if you really got to dig in your ear, you go like this, right? So teachers are like that. They know how to get in your ear, Okay. So do you see Ephesians 4.11? That, that's them. And our job is unique. I'm talking about governance to equip God's people, you, for works of service. So God gives government to his church. You know, it's, you might think, well, why don't we just gather together and sing Kumbaya and read out of the Bible? Well, that's great. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul planted churches He went on three or four missionary journeys and he planted churches everywhere he went in the known Roman world. And in Titus chapter 1, he says to Titus, the reason I I left you in Crete was to go back to all those churches we planted and establish government in them, appoint elders in every church where we have planted a church. And he says, and until we've done it, our job is not complete. Re- finish what is lacking in those churches, he says. Super important. Grace. Government. And now, glory. But before I go to glory, I've got one more scripture to share with you uh, about uh, government, okay? It's, it's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey and submit are trigger words in our lawless culture, right? Am I telling you the truth? (laughs) It's like, obey, submit. Who are you to tell me? Well, if you obey and submit to Jesus, the very next thing he's going to tell you is get under spiritual authority. Your pastor and your your elders or, or leaders of the church. I'm not lying to you. Nor am I a control freak. I've got enough problems in my life. Uh, I don't need to control everyone else's life. The fact is, God is a God of divine order. And actually, submission is a protection word. It's not a control word. And everyone said amen, right? All right. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account See, every pastor and every elder has to stand before Jesus one day, and Jesus is going to say, did you take good care of the flock? Super serious. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let me tell you, I've seen a lot of groaning pastors. And they groan because there are problems in their church. But that's not the way God intended it to be. Grace is a pillar. Government is a pillar. You ready for the third? It's glory. And what do I mean by glory? The, the Hebrew word glory is kebod. And it literally means heaviness. And maybe you've sensed the kebod glory of God. And I sense to a degree this morning when we were worshiping in God's presence, the kebod of God was here. 
For some of you, I was, Becky and I and a number of other people were praying for you. And we sensed God's presence on you. And you know what? The glory of God is what sets the church apart from any social club. Let me tell you, this church is kissed with the glory of God. Do you know what makes, when someone walks in here and they think they're going to get a good moral teaching or maybe hear some principles out of the Bible, you know what they're going to be surprised by, Courageous Church? The glory of God is among you. We don't just sing about God like he's some far-off father. He comes and visits among us. This is the manifest presence of God. Do you know what I'm talking about? The presence of God is a promised reality. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. The presence of God is part of the, the qualities that theologians call the omnipresence of God. We know this that God is everywhere at all times. But there are times when his promised omnipresence becomes tangible in your life, tangible. Have you ever had the Lord come so close that you almost feel his presence? This is the glory of God resting on you. And this is the glory of God resting on this church. Why? Because this is not a natural institution. This is a spiritual thing that the Lord is building. And this is what it said there. Just look at Acts 11 as the story wraps up, starting at verse 27. Then during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem. Prophets, here we go, one of the fivefold ministry offices, came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood and through the Spirit, get ready, Something supernatural is going to happen. It's going to be, have a lot to do with the glory of God. And he stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. That happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did by sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The glory of God. I remember, I was raised Baptist. Any um, people raised Baptists here willing to raise your hand and willing to admit it? All right, I was raised in suburban Chicago in a Baptist church. I was born again in the Baptist church. I learned the Bible in this Baptist church. I thank God for my Baptist heritage. But when some, my sister invited me to go to a spirit-filled church, much like this one, and I was a teenager, and the only reason I was there is because my sister said the youth group was full of good-looking girls. <laughs> True story. Uh, and so I came. I sat right back there in the back row. And when worship started, I realized that I was in the midst of glory. The glory of God was in the place. People were singing to God. I know you get this, but I didn't. They were singing to God like he was actually in the room. They were raising their hands. And I was shaking in my little Baptist boots. And I said, I don't know what these people have, but I want some of it. And you know what? As a Baptist, this is just my story. This, the, I knew the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. That was my Trinity. 
they didn't tell us about the third person of, of the Godhead, uh, the Holy Spirit. But as I hung out, by the way, I did switch churches, and it wasn't because of the girls. It was because of the glory. <sighs> yeah, come for the girls, stay for the glory. That can be your byline, <laughs> byline of Courageous Church. I think that, I mean, your church is going to double by this time next year. Courageous Church, come for the girls, stay for the glory. <laughs> I mean, talk about marketing. All right. <laughs> Come, come back, Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> the fact is, is that I stayed because I, I cannot do life without this reality, glory. It's what sets Christianity apart from all other religions. It's the supernatural manifest presence of God. You know, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit at this church, don't we? That he actually comes and empowers you in supernatural ways that are beyond your natural abilities. And there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the, the church history is full of uh, revival. And what is revival? It's, it's human history punctuated when the glory of God comes down in such a powerful way that it marks the church and marks the community. William Seymour was the guy, an African-American guy, who, who in the Azusa Street Revival of 1906 crawled under the pulpit to hide and pray. And he was so poor, his pulpit was just a crate. He crawled inside of it. He stuck his head in the box. Am I telling the truth, Pastor Jason? You know this. He, he the glory of God was so strong at the Azusa Street Revival he stuck his head in the box, and, and the glory of God filled the, the church. Evan Roberts of the Welsh Revival of 1904 through 1906 uh, prayed this powerful prayer, which was a spark to the prayer. Uh, someone in the prayer group said, Bend us, Lord, in Wales. Becky and I are going to be there in about three weeks. And Evan Roberts said, No, Lord, bend me. So the move of God is not just about us. It's about God do it deeply, personally in me. And then John Kilpatrick, more recently of the Brownsville revival of the, of the early 19, um, help me, nine, uh, 90, like the mid-90s. Okay, let's just say that. Uh, in, in Brownsville, in Pensacola, Florida, as Steve Hill, the evangelist, was ministering under the power of God, John Kilpatrick uh, couldn't move. He was sitting on the platform and, and like was frozen and actually fell to the ground and stayed there for hours as the senior pastor of the church while glory broke out and the altars were filled at his church. A pastor friend of mine in North Carolina said, when the spirit began to move afresh in our church, I just said yes. What am I talking about? Times when the glory of God visits us and we are privileged to host it. So these are powerful, memorable, transformative moments. And let's face it, even the well, most well-crafted sermon will, not, will be forgotten. But when people have a unique God-given encounter, they will remember it and they will mark, be marked by it for the rest of their lives. Why? Christianity is not just adherence to mental assent or to some moral code. 
or to a body of truth, but it's a supernatural ongoing encounter with a living, loving, powerful Father God. When he reveals himself in a powerful and personal way to you, you are tasting his glory. One last passage. We're going to jump to the last verse here uh, in Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to wrap up with this. Grace, government, glory. Look at how important this is that glory is in the church. Paul is praying again for this wonderful church in Ephesus. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to his power that is at work within us. Look at this next phrase. To him be what? I'm not moving on until I hear you say it nice and loud. To him be glory glory where? Is that what the Bible says? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Now, if I was writing the Bible, you know what I would say? To him be glory in Christ Jesus and the church, right? That might make better sense for our theology. But you know what? Christ gets glorified when his church is full of glory. That's why Paul said, let there be glory in the church. Listen, when we gather together, I hope you come with high spiritual expectations. I really do. Ready to experience the glory of God. When you come to your prayer meetings, I know you have monthly prayer meetings, you have other prayer meetings. When you come to your home group, your small group, when you gather in someone's living room to open the Bible together, I I hope that your expectation is, Lord, let your glory fill this place. Grace, government, and glory. There are three pillars that every church needs, and they're the three pillars that your personal individual life needs. So I just wanted to share that with you, and I want to pray that these pillars are strong in you. I want to say thank you. You've been very patient. I know I've preached a long time because I'm preaching about stuff I really care about. I could have preached about a lot of different things to you. But when I knew Pastor Jason was preaching through the book of Acts, I said, I want to talk about the church at Antioch, a place of grace, government, and glory. And that's my prayer for you. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.